Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 33 of Hunter Hunted Hybrid Wars, my third dip into the Clan Mason series. Always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, and leave feedback at sites like fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All of your thoughts and feelings are always appreciated, and I always love reading what you guys have thought, and what you're thinking, and the directions you want me to go in. And if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, why don't you check out Stormrider while you're there? My original story told on that one site and that one site only. And you know, if big girly dragon-esque girls, orcs, elves, magical realms, multiple worlds and undead are your thing, check it out, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. And also while you're there, why don't you check out the ghostly link section. Pick yourself up a copy of Mortis from either Smashwords or from Amazon. Help support me and keep me doing what I love. Bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you, good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. This is all fan fiction. I'm just here to keep the Huntresses happy. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 33. The Bringer of Peace. The Raptorians sure knew how to throw a party, all right. It took three days for the Vestivities to finally wind down and for some life to return to some measure of normalcy in their cities. They spent the day simply in the streets, dancing with complete strangers and sharing meals and drinks with random people. They even got pulled along to an impromptu concert given by what they were told was Raptoria's greatest pop stars, a group of young males who called themselves Feathersoft. The concert was absolute chaos. A mass of screaming female raptorians of just about all ages jumping up and down and trying to attract the young males' attentions from their place on the stage, where they danced and sang songs about love and caring for your pride. And most of the clan mason members present kind of got used as stepladders by the little reptile females who clambered up them to get a better look. Well, all except for Tick, that was. Someone had tried, and one growl later, and Tick was stood grinning at her raptorian-covered husband, as she had basically invi an invisible shield of certain death surrounding her. Also during this time, Jack and Tick had also been roped into giving speeches and interviews aplenty, which Jack, to be fair, rather welcomed in a way, because it gave them a chance to give a real-life living face to Clan Mason, and to show the Raptorians what they were all truly about. Though, to be fair, despite their celebrity status, Within their own clan, neither of them had done talk shows or been on TV before, even on their homeworld, where, yes, of course, they had entertainment shows. In fact, a Xeno soap opera called Living the Hive Life was rather popular. J Tick and Jack themselves, though, were notoriously camera shy. Though, to be fair, on the homeworld, no one was stupid enough to jam either a camera or a microphone in Tick's face without ever expecting a good outcome from it. Though, to be fair, TV on the home world was usually more used to broadcast upcoming events, news from around the clan, recruiting drives, that sort of thing, with a smattering of entertainment shows to help people wind down after an hours of work. Though, for the most part, most people in Clan Mason were too busy living their lives to sit there and watch others pretending to live theirs. Though, however, living the hive life was still popular enough. The Raptorians, on their other hand, placed quite a great deal of value in it, to the point that reminded Jack of living on Earth somewhat. So while he kind of had an idea of what they were getting into when they were agreed to go on one of their more popular talk shows called Loose Males, Tick had truly no idea what she was getting into. 
first thing they noticed going out onto the set after they received their curtain call was it was filmed in front of a live studio audience. The second was 95% male. Neither of them had ever seen so many male Raptorians in one place before. It was like a living explosion of colour, all clapping as they walked out. The one who got the loudest claps and cheers was Smoke. Jack and Tick had decided that since he'd become something of a clan mason, spoke person and a familiar face to them, that he should take the lead with the questions came in. Unless they were directed at either of them, of course. This had made the turbid human rather nervous, but with some coaxing from his loving pride, he'd finally relented. The six male hosts were called Siko, Marmot, Velo, Lishra, Lippo and Gibby. Each of them was easily distinguishable from their various colour patterns and very different styles of dress and makeup. As the three had merged out into, onto the set waving to the clapping crowd, which now contained Smoke's pride at all cheering and clapping enthusiastically, some of them even threw flowers to them. A host greeted them enthusiastically, shaking their hands and hugging them. Smoke had pre-warned both Tick and Jack that male Raptorians were far more emotional than their females, and were far more touchy-feely, so they should expect some form of intimate greeting. And as uncomfortable as she'd looked, Tick had weathered it with good grace. Throughout the interview, the group had repeatedly referred to the trio by the titles the Raptorians had given them, calling Tick the Breaker of Chains, Jack the Hero of Raptoria, and Smoke the Guardian of Males. Which, after a couple of days of trying to dissuade people from doing so, they had simply given up and just left them to it. The interview went fairly well, and they talked about their plans to create a formal trade treaty between Raptoria and Clan Mason, as well as to establish embassies on both worlds to create opportunity for both Raptorians who wish to petition to join Clan Mason, and for Clan Mason members to visit Raptoria. This seemed to excite them, as having access to a world that they could walk around freely on the surface would be a completely new thing for them, really. One thing they were insanely curious about was Jack's powers. He'd given an impromptu display of Dream Warrior speed by flashing from his seat into the crowd, picking up a large bunch of flowers that had been thrown to him and they were now sitting on a table. He then returned to his seat, and he simply sat there for a few moments, smiling at the unknown hosts, until they re realised that they now had a different colour flower that matched their scales tucked into their feathers on their heads. This earned gasps and then applause from the crowd. Jast talked about how he discovered that Raptoria itself had dream warriors of their own, and that he and his seekers would be assisting them by setting up an outreach programme to not only identify these Raptorian dream warriors, but to return them to the Seeker Temple on Clan Mason's homeworld for training, so that once they returned home to Raptoria, they could build their own version of the Seekers of Truth, trained and ready to defend their people from any evil. After the interview was finally done, the trio had felt pretty happy, but also kind of drained. They weren't exactly used to being interrogated like that. Smoke's pride were leaping up and down all over the place, especially Skeever, who was absolutely stoked that their pride mail had got to be on the show, but also that she'd got to be in the audience. Apparently there was quite a queue. Jack had also travelled back to the city where the Grand Priest's pride lived, in order to visit them once again. He'd awoken them now, so it was his responsible for fully enlightening them. When he'd arrived, he'd found them all sat in the garden-like temple amongst the nature that bloomed inside the peaceful place. Ah, you returned to us. It is as the great tree told us. 
upright set coming to life as he stepped into the garden-like area where he'd witnessed smoke and his pride married. I awakened you, so it would be incredibly wrong of me to thrust you into this world and then leave you to fend for yourselves in it now that you know the truth of it. It is the duty of a seeker of truth to find others like us and to show them the truth of who and what they are so that they can learn to use their gifts wisely and not fall prey to those that would use them or to abuse their gifts for their own ends, Jack said, sitting as the small females gestured for him to do so. They all nodded together. The great tree told us as much. We cannot thank you enough for your incredible gift that you gave us, Jack Mason. Before, we could only hear the faintest whispers of her voice. But you unblocked our minds and opened our ears. Now we can hear him clearly, they said, and Jack nodded. Comes with the territory, and we kind of see the unseen and hear the unheard. I can tell you that the group of you are all tamers by the way nature responds to you so readily. You're like my beloved son, Jack said, as he sm smiling as he thought about Ryan. Both of your cubs warm your hearts like the glow of the sun on the surface. It's so beautiful to see that not only our males take their duties as fathers to their young so seriously, the bride said, and Jack realised he'd let his guard slip slightly as they'd gotten a bit of a glimpse into his mind. A very rare occurrence indeed. This both impressed him and worried him slightly. They are my truest pride, living proof of what I and my wondrous wife fought for. A perfect unity created in love with all the power of both and none of the weaknesses of either, Jack said proudly and the pride nodded in agreement. Yes, the great tree sees this too. In fact, she foretells of a time soon while them and those like them will be the most important beings in the universe. They will be hated by a great many for they will be a symbol of any, everything their narrow minds fear. But they will also be a beacon of hope to others, they said and Jack listened intently. Great Tree spoke of a time coming where a war will blanket the universe, and all will have to choose a side. On one side will be the darkness, aided by the likes of the dark seed and its ilk, but on the other, the light, led by the great deities of old, with their chosen warriors like Clan Mason. The outcome is still unknown to him, but what she did say is that the hybrids will be all important. Without them, all will be lost. Without them, the darkness will simply blanket everything, the pride said, their tone taking on a kind of dreamy trance-like state as they spoke. Then, just as quickly as they went into it, they came back out of it and all looked at one another wearing the same confused expression, but they quickly shook it off. Do you know what the time of great sorrow was? They asked him and Jack shook his head. The priestesses all looked sadly at one another. There was a time in the past where Raptoria we were not so different from our Scalathor or Draconis sisters. We coveted our males jealously, treated them badly. They were little more than instruments of pleasure and slaves to us. This was implemented by the once powerful ruling houses of Raptoria. They were basically like a monarchy, with each having their own little king, underground kingdom. Then one day a male called Vala heard the voice of the great tree in a dream. She told him that her children strayed far from the path that she had laid out for them, that the golden garden was growing empty, so so many had not earned their places in it. So he gave Valor a message and a mission. He was to travel all to all the known kingdoms 
and he was to gather as many of the abused and enslaved males as he could. And when he had as many as he could, he would leave a message behind telling their families and owners what had happened and what was going to happen and why. Then all those beautiful innocent boys that had been called home to the garden and it left behind wanted to join them, they would have to earn it. Jack looked amazed and also concerned. So what did he do? he asked. He led a huge crowd of males to a volcano called Mount Kiliger. In our, in our tongue means sorrow. There, among with every male that had followed him, they all jumped into the fire, killing themselves. For you see, the message he'd left behind told females that read it that they were now being punished, and now not only had their boys returned to the great tree to walk freely in the golden garden, but the great tree from this day forward limit with how many males would be born into this place, that if we didn't realise the true treasure that we held in our hands, it would be taken away from us, until there'd be nothing left of us. It was now up to us, change our ways and earn our place in the garden, or forever be punished for the wrong we had done. That loss caused a huge population decrease, not just because of the male deaths, but because of the babies never born without them. That was the day the Raptorians learned the true value of our boys, and we changed. They are now our truest and greatest treasure, and we will never let them suffer ever again, they said together. It was obvious to Jack that even though the story still carried a lot of emotional weight with it, he could see the sorrow painted on all of their faces. He reached out and planted a, head on, a hand on each of their shoulders and turned. Don't you worry, girls. That will never happen on Raptoria ever again. We will see to that. Clan Mason protects our friends, and the Raptorian people have already proven that they are trustworthy and staunch allies. We will stand with you and make sure that Raptoria remains the same, if not better, than it's ever been. He said confidently, and that really seemed to cheer them up. Thank you, Jack Mason. First your hunter's smoke breaks the chains of sorrow, and then you lift us up so that we can see and hear the, and breathe of the universe. And now you stand as the guardians of Raptoria. Forever will this day be remembered in the hearts and mind of every Raptorian. The day a group of aliens stood on our soil, held up both a shield and a sword, and said, Not one step further. He said, which made Jack smile. And now we'll show the whole universe what a strong, united Raptoria can really do. He said, making them beam from feather to feather. Before he left, they gave him a gift. He said it had been left here for him by the great tree. It was a golden seed. And it seemed to go, glow with a faint golden inner light. That even as he held it in his hand, he, they told him to plant it in the soil of his home world. And that way, those children of the great tree that followed him home would always have a connection to the great tree and to the golden garden through it. Eventually, though it was time for T Clan Mason to pack up and head home, there was still a lot of work to be done and a lot of planning ahead. Both Jack and Tick agreed. They simply couldn't afford to hide on their world anymore and simply react to what was going on in the universe around them. Now they had to take a stand and start being much more proactive in the course of this universe that it was taking. Because if someone didn't take the rudder and steer, the whole damn thing was going to run aground real fucking fast. They assigned teams to remain on Raptoria for the time being, 
to get up both the embassy up and running, but also help the Raptorians take over and hold all of the Scarthorn Draconis FOBs that remained on the surface. They were going to put them to good use, holding a permanent presence on the surface of the planet from now on. The Raptorians were even talking about converting a couple of them into spaceports to make travelling between their orbital platforms and the surface a hell of a lot easier. Of course they would have to rebuild them all first as most of them had been destroyed by the Scalathor. As Jack and Tick boarded their shuttle which was bound for the Grand Matriarch's Fury, which was now the new Clan Mason flagship thanks to its size and overwhelming power and presence, Jack took a last look around at the lush paradise planet. He really could feel the life and energy buzzing from the place, with a radiant intensity. It was oddly like a cancer survivor returning to health after their tumours had been cut out. Don't worry, Patriarch. I'm sure Matriarch will drag your woman ass back out here someday soon. I've been seeing her eyeing up all those predators and adding them to her to-hunt list since she's got here, a familiar voice from behind them said, with a large hand planted on his shoulder. Jack turned to see his beloved son standing there, smiling all over his mandibles, while Tick aimed a playful swat at her beloved cub's head for the joke at her expense. Suddenly the image of that murdered young Scalthor boy flashed through Jack's mind, from his lifeless butchered body sprawled on a pile discarded that he was nothing more than waste, to the radiant golden spirit, placing his hand on Jack's shoulder as he recited the oath of Clan Mason. A million thoughts buzzed through Jack's heads like angry hornets. Had he died alone? Had he been made to suffer when they ended his young life? Had all that young one known was pain his whole time? Were they among the rapid-fire questions that Jack felt tears burning in his eyes? Out of nowhere, Jack threw his arms around Ryan and held him tight in his strong grip, surprising the tall hybrid. It shames me to say this, but I never tell you how much how much you are loved and you are cherished. You, your sister, and your adopted sisters too. You are the triple stars that light up mine and your matriarch's universe, and there is not a single drop of blood we would not shed or spill to protect you, he said in a voice soft enough that only Ryan, and now the equally surprised Tick, heard him. Ryan felt the weight of his father's anguish through the connection, made possible by his dream warrior abilities. He also felt the crushing weight of having to tell his adopted daughter and grandcubs they would never see a beloved father and husband in this life again. He wrapped his long arms around his father and Tick stepped forward and wrapped her long arms around the pair of them. We will make them pay, my beloved ones. We will make them bleed for what they have taken from us. I swear it to you on my very soul, Jack said softly as he tried desperately to hold his emotions together. We know, Patriarch, and we'll be right there at your side when you do. No one spills the beloved blood of Clan Mason and gets away with it, Ryan said softly, resting his head against his father's shoulder, as Tick used her massive frame to her advantage and pulled her heart-sick husband into her lap and holding him against her. Since the battle had been won, the family really hadn't had time to grieve for the loss of their loved one. Now, finally, it was catching up at them. Finally, the shuttle lifted off and the family clung together. Not a single word was spoken by any other member of the clan present. If this had been a pure human shuttle, quite a lot of looks probably would have been bouncing around the cab about this human male sitting on his female's lap like a child. 
But this was not a pure human shuttle. This was a clan mason shuttle. And it was a pain that they were all feeling. And it shared, if anything. The only thought that was bouncing around the cabin was that they wished that they could do something, anything, to help alleviate the pain in their great-grand patriarch's heart. As the shuttle exited the gravity well of Raptoria, they all got their first look at the newly commissioned Grand Matriarch's fury. It was truly gigantic. The Dreamer was running in formation alongside it with some of the other cruisers, and some frigates as well. They looked like a fleet of tugboats compared to the absolutely gigantic Dreadnought-class battleship-slash-combat cruiser. It was the first ship the Clan Mason had been commissioned to be truly multi-role. It was more than capable of taking on a whole fleet on its lonesome, due to its incredibly powerful weapons and shielding, not to mention its colossal hull of reinforcement armour. The hull was shaped like a giant broad-headed arrow, giving it a low, sharp and angular, but surprisingly sleek shape. The armour had obviously been designed with the intention of trying to bounce anything incoming that broke through the incredibly tough shields. It was much wider than it was tall, giving it a surprisingly low and sleek profile for its size. Even the large central conning and command tower at the centre of the top of its hull was rounded, reminding Jack of an old Russian submarine called Nakula. The hull bristled with all sorts of weapons. All along the outer ridge of its hull were large railgun ports, all set to give it an incredible broadside salvo on both sides. There had to be a fifty to a hundred of them on, on one side alone. Underneath the huge ship was more of them, but these were set into ports that could be opened up to allow them to extend on targeting gimbal arms, allowing the ship to go belly up and fire off a saturation shot that would completely blanket an area with fire, primarily designed for planetary bombardment from orbit. The ship would simply glide over a target and fire directly down onto it. Along the top of the hull there were batteries of Seawis, designed to completely saturate the path of any incoming torpedoes or missile with lead. They weren't rail guns, but they didn't need to be. The conventional projectile weapons did the job just nicely in the with no atmosphere to slow the slugs down. Although they couldn't see them, it was completely black against a black background now. Jack knew from seeing the blueprints the top was also covered with a plethora of torpedo launchers, having both large ICBM-style capital killers in hidden tubes and smaller and much faster interceptor torpedoes in aimable battery launchers along the wings. But this ship had two very special party pieces that were currently fully hidden from view within the colossal hull. Jack knew the location of them because it had been up to him and Tick to sign off on both the development and installation of the weapons. If called for the very tip of the arrowhead would point would be opened up to reveal a huge barrel that ran the entire length of the ship, right from the engines at the rear to the very tip of the planet killer. The dead centre of the belly of the beast was a very special railgun that had been modified its entire barrel shrouded and encased in the metal that was produced on the Clan Mason homeworld. It like a giant rectangle. Depending on what the clan needed it, it could either fire a slug that was roughly the same size as a truck, and weighing a hell of a lot more than one, and nearly a hundred tons of super-dense tungsten, or equally, a plasma shot. The result could completely devastate a planet. 
Citrus and Yoshi's hive had estimated just two shots to the right spot on a planet would completely shatter it, causing its core to basically explode. The first shot would blow off the armour of the planet's crust, exposing the weak point in the mantle. The second would penetrate the core and turn the whole thing into debris. Then there was the gun's completely monstrous secondary trick. It could fire a charged plasma shot of exactly the same size. The impact of just one of these would burn off a planet's atmosphere and completely incinerate the surface, turning every single living thing into a cloud of ash in just seconds. It made every nuclear weapon that Jack's parent species had ever conceived look nothing more than like a pop cap. This was a weapon not just of war, it was a statement. It quite blatantly said, fuck with us and we will fuck with you with no ambiguity. This was a show of strength and pride in one machine. The shuttle moved around to the rear of the ship where the hangar bays were located. This ship could hold and deploy 500 fighters, 200 bombers and gunships, plus a plethora of ground assault craft, not to mention regular shuttles, just like the one that Jack and his family now rode in on. The hangar bays themselves stood out from the jet black hull as their doors were open, but were covered with a multi-layered force field designed to contain the atmosphere and stop the workers from within from being vented out into space. It also protected them from stray shots, as the outer layer was basically the same as the anti-energy and anti-ballistic shielding that was on all clanmates and vehicles and armour. In fact, as the shuttle itself approached the outer layer, which shimmered bright blue, it powered down, revealing a purple layer underneath it. This would allow the shuttle itself to pass right through unhindered, or without causing it to bounce off and go spinning out into space anyway. The shuttle made a safe and gentle landing on its predetermined pad, Instantly, Saviour engineering crews were heading over to the ship. Jack climbed down from Tip's lap and she patted his shoulder, steadying him and showing him her support. Jack put his game face back on and took a deep breath. All right, people, everyone off. Repeat, report to the duty master and get your cabins assigned. He said that there were nods from hunters. We were all standing in neat lines waiting to disembark. The hatch opened with a hiss that any Xeno would have been envious of, and Jack stepped down onto the deck plate of the hangar bay. Instantly, the whole ship snapped to attention. Grand Patriarch and Matriarch on deck, attention! Someone bellowed. Jack turned and saw a huge Juta female dress, dressed in the crisp white suit of a saviour ship captain. In fact, the emblem blazed on her blazer breast pocket, while the emblem of the ship itself was on her right shoulder. All of the Saviour space crews did this, showed the pride in their ship and that they served the clan on. She snapped to attention before them and saluted them crisply. Grand Patriarch and Matriarch, welcome aboard the great Grand Matriarch's Fury, she said in a deep rumbling voice. Both Jack and Tick returned the salute until Ethran fell in at ease. Thank you, Captain. This is a fine ship and looks truly fitting to bear that name. She looks like she could feel the fury worthy of my beloved one, Jack said, shooting a smile at Tick, who clicked at him in response. I'd say Matriarchs is far worse, depending on what day of the month it is, Ryan mumbled before getting cuffed around the back of the head by Tick. You may be an all-powerful dream warrior, but you are still my cub, and therefore vulnerable to my discipline, Tick said in a huff as Jack just chuckled softly and shook his head, 
as Ryan rubbed his head and muttered an apology. That's when Jack noticed some of the coffins now being unloaded from another shuttle. Without missing a beat, he strode straight over to one and grabbed the front handle of it as it was lifted from the trolley that it was rolled down the loading ramp on. Instantly, seekers appeared all around him, including Liam, and together they lifted the coffin. Tick was at the second one in a second and did the exact same thing as her hunters formed up and assisted her. Ryan was at the third, joined by a mixture of hunters, saviours and seekers. These here are our beloved brothers and sisters. For the entirety of this journey they will have an honour guard on them. They fell for this clan, and we will guard them from the moment they set foot here till they rest peacefully in our sacred soil. Is that understood? Jack bellowed so loudly it felt like it made the whole ship ring with his voice. Yes, Grand Patriarch! The whole bay yelled in perfect unison, including Telethron. They carried the coffins to a specially converted storage bay, where one seeker and one hunter took up guard positions over them. Before he left, Jack stopped and laid a hand on Vlek's coffin and bowed his head. They will pay for your blood and our beloved sorrow. This I swear on my immortal soul, he said with a fire burning through his voice before finally turning and heading towards the bridge. But by the great tree, look at this place. It's like a flying city, Smoke's pride said, all gawking at the colossal hangar bay in which they now stood. All around them, people were busy working, servicing and form on all forms of crap, loading and unloading ammo and supplies from others. It was just like being an industrial zone of a city. Welcome aboard the Grand Matriarch's Fury, ladies. The pride of Clan Mason Navy. In fact, it's also the newest ship in the fleet, only recently finished. But I doubt she'll be the last of her kind. She's a dreadnought class. Basically a flying hammer that can be brought down on top of our of the clans or our allies' enemies. In fact, I dare say you are the first non-clan members to ever set foot on her, Smoke said proudly as he gestured around himself with wide sweeping movements of his arms. Other prides were coming out of the shuttles behind them, along with some of the freed Scalathor males who had opted to head to Clan Mason's homeworld, either because they didn't fancy living underground or simply wanted to live among the clan. All of the prides who were currently here all had all surface stalkers who'd taken the invite to come to Clan Mason's homeworld. Quite a few of them had a male member of the clan in tow, and as was their habit dictated, said male was at the planted at the centre of a protective circle of his females. Smoke himself noticed Aramek being led along by his own new pride as they pointed and fussed over everything, and he shot him a knowing grin as the big Yajuta strode past surrounded by his little reptilian loves. Suddenly, a female Xeno saviour appeared seemingly out of thin air right next to them, making him and his entire pride jump. Instantly, Vippy and the others' protective instincts kicked into full, and they formed up in a tight protective circle with smoke dead at the centre of it, ready to defend him from either a threat or a potential suitor. Sergeant Smoke, I presume? She said, her voice modulated, making her voice sound pleasant and warm, though Smoke still heard the soft hisses and chirps of her actual words underneath it. That's me, he said, and the Zeno dressed in the saver blues brought up a pad and apparently ticked his name off a list. Current status, married, six wives, all Raptorian, entire pride, all granted diplomatic VIP status as allies of Clan Mason. 
names Vippy, Seema, Skeever, Uma, Lima, and Frida. Assume this is them, correct? The Xeno asks, pointing at them as his pride relaxed somewhat. That's correct, Smoke said, and the Xeno nodded happily as she tapped her pad. Okay, seems you've been given married quarters on B-Deck. Technically, they weren't exactly designed for Raptorians, I'm afraid. They were designed for Serpentinus, a last-minute upgrade that Queen Citrus authorised, as she anticipated that a few members of the clan would be picked off by those bloody pretty snake girls, leaving less pretty human boys for us Xenos to scramble to secure. But I digress. Please place your palm prints on the pad when I call your name, she said, a slightly bitter note in her modulated voice now. After each of them placed their hand on the pad, chimed and a picture of them appeared with a service record, which confirmed who they were who they said they were. It was obvious that the command prides had sent details of every pride that had opted to head to the clan Mason homeworld ahead of them, so no problems would arise. Smoke was the last one to touch the pad and it lit up green. That's it, your quarters are number 71B. Only a handprint and the security, or that of the Grand Patriarch or Matriarch, can open your door now. Good to have you aboard, Hunter, Zeno said, and then she glanced down at Vippy in her pride. Take good care of him. Clan Mason raises our humans right. You have a prize that any single girl here would give her a tail to get, she said, and before Vippy or her pride could respond with anything more than a fluff of indignant feathers, she vanished into the crowd, scurrying off to the next pride and hunter combo. Who the hell does she think she is? insinuating that we would ever mistreat our pride mail. All of them stormed as smoke ushered them away before they started a diplomatic incident right there in the hangar bay. Easy, girls. She wasn't insulting you, she was simply stating how Clan Mason are. We might be free to love whoever we choose, when it chooses us, but we defend it with a fury the likes of which you have never seen before. Trust me, when I say Clan Mason does not forgive... And it certainly doesn't forget, he said, as he walked and suddenly spotted out of the, something out of the corner of his eye, which caused him to stop and turn. What is it? Seema asked, solo upon spotting him. Sorry, one moment, there's something I have to do, he said, and he headed quickly towards the storage room with his pride giving confused chase. As he reached the door, he saw the Seeker and Hunter both in full battle dress armour, with their weapons resting against their shoulders. Smoke snapped into a crisp salute. Hunter Sergeant Smoke requesting permission to pay respects to the fallen, he said crisply in his breast parade voice. Permission granted. Welcome, brother, the hunter said in a distinctly Yejuta voice. Both of them stepped to one side, allowing him to pass before stepping back into place to bar his pride from entering. Instantly they realised what was going on and snapped to attention, saluting the honour guards. Raptorian surface stalkers first class, Vippy, Seema, Skeever, Frida, Uma and Lima, requesting permission to pay respects to the fallen who died on our beloved soil, they all said in unison. Permission granted. Show respect at all times in this place, surface stalkers. These are our honour dead, and we guard them till they rest in our soil the pair said, stepping to one side to allow the pride to pass and to catch up with their mail. They found him in a room filled with coffins. They numbered twenty-eight. Twenty-eight souls lost. Twenty-eight brothers and sisters who had never set foot in their beloved home again. Twenty-eight holes created in the lives of those they'd left behind.
As the prey reached him, Smoke snapped to attention. Tension, he said firmly, as all pride encircled him and snapped into a crisp parade rest. Honoured brothers and sisters, I thank you for your sacrifice, for your loyalty and for your love. Because of you and those like you, I stand here today, a man of two worlds, a man who now carries with him six beautiful lives that I love and shield as you did for our beloved clan. If it wasn't for you and your sacrifice, this love of mine would not have been possible. So go now, on to your rest in the eternal hunt. May the Lady Pyre welcome you with open arms. May all of your hunts be ever blessed. Rest in peace, my brothers and sisters. Know that you are forever loved and forever missed, Smoke said. Surface stalkers present arms. Salute! Lippy snapped in the whole pride, Smoke included, snapped into a crisp parade salute to the twenty-eight coffins before lowering their arms to turn to march out in single file, showing their respect with every step that they took. As they left, the two guards saluted them, and they returned it. It might have been only a small gesture, but Smoke knew that their presence and their respect for Clan Mason's fallen had earned them the very same respect this day. The Pride didn't say another word as they made their way through the gigantic ship to their quarters, which when Smoke opened the door with his handprint, he very nearly laughed out loud. Everything indeed was Serpentina's side. Oh, this was going to be rather funny. Just as Smoke tried to hide his grin from his completely stunned wives, all staring at the pillows and the large furniture of their quarters, a voice came through the tannoy. This is Captain Telethron to all hands for preparing to make the jump. Make sure all shuttles and craft are aboard and hangar bays are sealed down. All other personnel, please be ready for hyperspace jump. One further warning will be given before jump. We're going home, people. Telethron out. Smoke, like his entire pride... Looked up at the ceiling at the captain's voice had cut in. Now they all looked at him. Better grab a seat, girls. Hyperspace jumps can be a bit of a bitch the first time, Smoke said, and suddenly his entire pride were grinning at him. You know, we're friends with a transport pride who runs one of the trade ships between the Serpentinus homeworlds and ours, and they swear there's no feeling in this life like making love the first time the moment you're on the ship breaks hyperspace barrier and jumps. He said, and Smoke's smile froze for a moment. And before he could suddenly say a word, he was up in the air riding a magic carpet made of Raptorians again. To the bedroom, girls! Bippy yelled, and they rushed him into a giant mattress-filled room and dumped him right in the centre before diving on him. Oh boy, this was going to be a trip and a half. Yeah, so that was chapter 33, ladies and gentlemen. And it seems like Smoke and his pride have got a long-loving life ahead of them now on the Clan Mason homeworld. But what will Jack do to those that wronged them? How will he get his revenge? Will he make the Scalathorn Draconis pay, or will he fight back? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions, and so many more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, see you all next time.